book of Nehemiah is awesome. Obviously, we love all the books of the Bible. But the book of Nehemiah uh, records, along with Ezra, records a, an interesting moment in Israel's history. And it records a, a, an amazing man who started out as a butler and then moved into being a bricklayer and then ended up being a faithful governor or leader or ruler of people. It's really, the book of Nehemiah ultimately is, seems to be centered around Nehemiah, but ultimately, as every book, it is centered around God and his goodness. But what has happened in the book of Nehemiah is that he is a cupbearer to King Artaxerxes. He hears, as a brother comes from Israel, from Jerusalem, comes and Nehemiah speaks with him, and he, Nehemiah asks about his brothers, asks about Jerusalem. And his friend tells him that the walls are torn down, the people are, are, are saddened, they're burdened. And you see, at that time, as the Babylonians had carried off God's people into exile, Nehemiah is hearing that the walls around Jerusalem, their protection around Jerusalem, had been destroyed, that the gates had been burned with fire. And he is so upset, he cries, he weeps. And in the first chapter, he calls out onto the Lord and he prays. And he asks God to forgive the people of their sin to continue to keep his covenant with them. And then, after four months, he approaches the king and asks for permission to be able to go back and to build the walls. He doesn't just receive permission. He receives safe passage. He receives all the provision that he would need in order to get the walls built. But as the walls are being built, there are Ammonites, there are Arabs, there are all these enemies of God's people that are watching them build these walls. And Nehemiah understands these men want us, do not want this work to begin. They do not want this work to succeed. They want, to, they want us to continue to be a byword. They want to continue to mock us by these walls laying in shambles. And Nehemiah, in chapter 4, realizing that the enemies were all around, realizing that the enemies had no problem getting messages to God's people and used fear and other tactics to try to get them to stop building this wall. Nehemiah does something. In chapter 4, in fact, it's a text uh, reference on the screen. Chapter 4, verse 15, And it happened when our enemies heard that it was known to us, their plot, their plan to, to destroy them, and that God had brought their plot to nothing, that all of us return to the wall, everyone to his work. So there was this plot to destroy them. God brings the plot to nothing. They return now to the wall. But notice verse 16. So it was from that time on that half of my servants worked at construction while the other half held the spears, the shields, the bows, and wore armor. And the leaders were behind all the house of Judah. Those who built on the wall and those who carried burdens loaded themselves so that with one hand they worked at construction and with the other hand they held a weapon. The rebuilding of the walls took 52 days. A feat that actually left even their enemies amazed that they could raise these walls once again, that they could secure these walls, especially under such intense pressure from a constant threat of their enemies around them. But Nehemiah was a genius. 
He comes to the people and he says, all right, we have work to do and the work cannot stop. The work is important. We have to be able to build these walls. We have to be able to get this back to where it needs to be. But on the other hand, we have enemies. We have people who are lined up all around us, all across the horizon, who want this work to stop and are willing to stop at nothing in order to make it happen. So Nehemiah knew that if I've got work to do that can't stop and I've got enemies that want to to stop it, then there's something has to be done. And what he says is half of the people that worked on the were working on the wall, while the other half of the people sat and guarded against the enemies. And even more than that, those people who were building the wall made it so that as they had a tool in one hand, they had a weapon in the other so that at a moment. Any moment, if they are up constructing the wall with a trowel in one hand, they could turn around with a sword in the other and be ready to do battle against the enemy. Now, guys, this is genius. You would think that it wouldn't be conducive to, to being able to get the work done. You would think, well, it's so hard because you would only have one hand that you could work with. I can imagine if they had two hands to work with, they would have gotten it done in 26 days. But no, they got it done in 52 One hand had a sword or a weapon, while the other hand had a tool, a trowel. You know, here's the thing, guys. We're standing, really, on the edge of a very important date, a potentially important date in the history of the church. For 125 years, First Baptist Church has been at Seventh and Pearl. This is actually the second sanctuary, if you didn't know that. Do you know when they built this second sanctuary, the one that we're in right now, do you know that the people in the community said it's too big? It's too big. You're never going to be able to fill it. Well, it was filled. You know what was amazing was in the late 20s, times weren't good for everybody. And there were people that in order to build this building, you know what they did? They would actually take nails from their home. If they had extra nails sitting around, they would bring the nails to the church and donate nails for the purpose. So some of the the nails, some of the fasteners in this building are held together by nails and fasteners that were in people's garages. But for the first time in 125 years, potentially tonight, we could vote that we continue, that we start construction on our second phase, which would mean that possibly within at least 12 months, First Baptist Church would no longer be on 7th and Pearl. It would be on I-44 and Connecticut Street. That's a big deal. There are three things I want us to keep in mind. You see, Nehemiah and the people recognized that there was an enemy. Okay, they knew who they were. They knew their names. They knew what they looked like. They were able to identify the enemy. And I want us to think about three things this morning to be able to keep our minds right as we uh, stand on the beginning of this vote. As we're considering this morning and as we've been praying and I hope fasting this week, um, really being sensitive, seeking the Lord in this big decision that we would think of these three things before we vote, before we come together to talk about the future of First Baptist Church. The first thing is this. If we are going to build a building, it is essential 
that we behave in a manner that is fitting as Christians. We must behave in a manner that is fitting for the name that we call ourselves. We are Christians. We are called by the name of Christ. Now let me tell you, in my first church, we went through two building programs, and I'm glad to tell you that at the conclusion of those building programs, we were stronger as a body than we were when we went through them, than we were before. The building process actually helped solidify and strengthen and draw us together. And let me tell you something, if the Lord is in anything we do, it should have the purpose, there should be an effect on God's people of bringing us together, of strengthening, of fortifying, of deepening that union that we have with one another. Any work of God that draws God's people apart can't really truly be a good work of God. It doesn't matter what we do. Whatever we set our hands to as the church, this, this local church of God, if it is the work of God, it is intended not just to promote the gospel, but it is intended to strengthen and draw together God's people. Let me tell you, you, you even don't even need me to tell you. You probably know this as well, if not better than I. Some of the costs of church building programs go by far greater than financial. Some of their costs have wrecked churches. Some, some building programs have caused people to split, to churches to split down the middle. It has caused infighting and name calling. Guys, is that fitting for the name that we wear? Shouldn't we be a witness and a testimony to all the world that if God wants us to build this building, we'll build it in God's way with His character? God, the last thing I would want, the last thing I would want is for us to gain a building but lose a family. Oh my. Does that mean that we all agree? There's no way we're all going to agree. I'm just going to take a little surprise out of tonight for you. When I show you the pictures, there are going to be some that are really excited, and there are going to be some that may be disappointed. That's just a fact. When, when you see the picture of the building up there, and me with my little red laser, and I'm going through everything like that, there are going to be some of you that are going to say, yes, I wanted that. Yes, we needed that. Yes. And there are going to be some of you that are going to say, I don't like that. I don't like that. <coughs> is it okay for us to disagree? It is. It is. But it's not okay if we disagree to the point that we attack others. Guys, this building, let me just say this. This building is not worth it if it causes us to split. Am I saying, am I trying, some of you may be thinking, well, is he trying to head off something? Does he know that there is a disagreement or that there are teams forming and that there's dissension? Does he know that? No, I don't know that. I have no inside information. I'm just trying to nip it before it even gets started. This building is not worth it if it causes a serious division or split in this church and i'll tell you exactly what i'll do and i don't care if it's robert's rules or not if things get out of hand at this business meeting i don't predict them to if things get out of hand at this business meeting 
or any other business meeting where we start acting or conducting ourselves in an ungodly manner, I'm going to shut it down. I don't care if it's not pretty. I don't care if it's not practical. I don't care if it breaks protocol or Robert would be rolling over in his grave. Robert didn't stand and have a church on his heart like I do. Tonight, I'm not asking for us to all agree on colors and specs and room sizes and where the bathrooms are and the kind of hand dryers. Lord help us if we split over hand dryers. Good night. I've heard of things like that happening, though. Let's look at this second thing. We must realize, number two, Man, it, it, it encourages me to see folks writing these down. Man, that's awesome. When I'm talking about these things in anything and to see you guys write it down, you know what that tells me? It, it, you may not mean it, but what it tells me is this is important to me and I don't want to forget it. And if there was ever something that I think we need to be able to hold on to, it's this. Secondly, we must realize that a building doesn't fix everything. A building, this building, no matter how great, how cool, how much we like it, how much it helps ministry, no matter what, there is no building that is going to fix problems within a church. There have been some that I've heard in passing, heard in conversations in hallways and foyers and, and heard after meetings that said, well, if we just get to the new building, dot, dot, dot. Well, if we could just get out to the south campus, attendance would go, would grow, if we could just get out to South Campus, then we would have rainbows and birds chirping and flowers would be more beautiful. Guys, let me tell you something. The church is not and has never been a building. It hasn't. And we know that right here. We know that as Christians. We know that the church is just a structure that will melt with fervent heat until it comes time for a building program. And once we're in a building program, we start thinking that that building is going to heal all of our ills and all of our wounds. But yes, it is true. Statistically, when a church builds and relocates, they can expect a 20% increase in attendance over the first year. Woohoo! But, if we try to build ourselves into growth, it will never work. If we take the same church, if there are issues, if we take the same church and put it in another building, tell me what that solves. Do we really want people to come to a church because of the building? No. No. We want people to come to a church because of the Lord, but because of the people that fill that building. Guys, there are churches right now that are meeting in garages. They're meeting in warehouses. And you know what? They can't keep up with the growth. You know why? They know that a church isn't about a building. A church is about the people. Is this a nice building? Yes. It is a nice building. Is it going to be able to help us do ministry better? Yes. But the building does not manufacture disciples. The building doesn't do ministry. Guys, you want to know what the building is? 
This building is a $3.7 million shoe. In all honesty, that's what it is. Does a shoe run? No. Does a shoe help you run? Yeah. This building is a $3.7 million shoe. It's going to help us. It's intended to be able to help us to do the work of the ministry better than we've done before. It's going to help us to be better stewards of God's resources. This thing is like heating and cooling a pop can, folks. This building is going to help us if we, if, if we can do it. That's our decision tonight. We must behave in a manner fitting as Christians. Second, we must realize that a building does not fix everything. That's us. We must be right. Number three, third and final thing, we must keep the new project in perspective. This is huge. This is the last one. This is big. Our job is to build the kingdom, not build buildings. We are not a part of the Good Shepherd Realty program, okay? That's not what we do. Our job is to build the kingdom. That means making disciples of all nations. That means teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I've commanded. That means seeing people born again and escorting them through the discipleship process to where they are also making disciples. Do you want to know more what building a kingdom looks like? It means coming alongside parents and helping them train their children in the way they should go. It also means that we come along husbands and wives and help them to enrich their marriages together. I love seeing marriages restored. It means pouring into and equipping believers for the work of the ministry. It means worshiping the Lord without shame or embarrassment to call on the name of Jesus. It means taking His gospel all across the world and beginning it right here in Joplin. That's the work of the, that's the, work of the kingdom. Proclaim the word. Proclaim the truth. Live the truth. This building <clears throat> is intended to be a shoe. To help us to do that. Now, notice this, though. We cannot let the building, this is important, we cannot let the building take away financially from the work of the kingdom. This is big. If we are not a part of Good Shepherd Realtors, and it's not, for us to build buildings but to build the kingdom and we build a shoe to help us run and carry the gospel this building must be done in a manner that we are able to do while not neglecting the work of the lord here do you understand what i'm saying that's why when you hear us talk about giving to a building program to give to any kind of, of an of an offering we always want to do that over and above our tithe. I, I believe in the tithe. I believe that 10% of all that I have is God's. I believe it's an act of faith. It's an act of obedience. and It's an act of worship when I give to the Lord my 10% and Bree's 10% and, and I'll be at Hawkins 10%. That is what I give to the Lord. Anything I want to do beyond that to advance the kingdom, that comes above my tithe. You know why? Why that is? Because if we just stop, stop giving our tithe to the storehouse here and just start putting it towards a building, we would be worshiping in here with no heat, 
Nowhere. Beyond the facilities. What about the other budget needs that we have that keep this ministry going? Guys, if we are going to do this, if we are, and we vote and say, yes, I'm in favor of this tonight. If that's the case, when we raise our hand, we need to make sure that in our minds that is more than a vote. That is a promise to God that we will support this endeavor. However we can, however much, however little, but beyond the financial, that when we raise our hand, let it also be known tonight that when we raise this hand, we are saying, God, I will support this work, including regular prayer. Amen? Man, this is huge. This building is intended to help us do kingdom work better. We cannot let the building take away financially from the work we do here. And fourth and final, we cannot let the building that will house the work become the work. We cannot let the building that will house the work of God become the work of God. There was a moment in the Old Testament, book of Genesis, where there was a building program. Seemed to start off pretty good. They came together. Creation at that moment began to get creative. Started making bricks and stacking bricks. So they made a plan. They started working it out. They built a tower. They built a city. Such ingenuity now from creation. Looking like their creator in that sense. But do you remember? God's command had always been for them to go and multiply upon the face of the whole world. You know what that meant? That meant the people were supposed to go after the flood and go all over the face of the earth and multiply. That was God's command. But those people at the Tower of Babel, you know what they did? They saw a little fruited plain that they liked. They saw this beautiful valley, well-watered, gorgeous place. And instead of journeying and continuing to move upon the face of the whole earth, you know what they did? They stopped. They said, man, I know God told us to go upon the face of the whole earth and multiply. But I want to stop right here on this piece of property. They built cities, a city, for security, safety, convenience. And they built a tower. You know, what's funny about that tower is there are many different beliefs or thoughts on what that tower represented. Some, some people believe that man actually thought he could build a tower all the way back up to the heavens. I don't know that I believe that. I don't believe that man really thought, I can get all the way back up to heaven. I don't believe really that was the case. Some people have said that they had just seen and heard of the flood, so they didn't want any more flood again. They wanted to be safe from the flood, so they went up and tried to build a tower so that the next flood that would come would keep them safe. And, and I guess I can understand that to some bit, but yet God said, I will make a reminder in the heavens that I will never flood the earth with water again. 
Some have suggested that it was an act of pride on their part to see all that they could do. Maybe that was possible. Maybe that was it in their heart. They wanted to build a building so that everybody could look at them and say, look what we built. See, they didn't just build a city and a tower. The Bible says they gave themselves a name. Yeah, look what we did in this building. And I hope that's never an attitude that we have as First Baptist Church. But you know what else I think that tower represented? You see, the purpose for them that God gave them was to go upon the face of the whole earth. They stopped doing that. And what did God do to them? He struck them with confusion. They all spoke different languages. So they had to do what? They had to go out upon the face of the whole earth. It seems like if God was chastening, disciplining them, judging them for not going upon the face of the whole earth, I have to believe that that tower was intended for some reason to keep them there. Listen to me very carefully. Have you ever seen those radio towers up in the sky? Some kind of a visible landmark? I used to go to camp in in, in Kansas, and there was this large radio tower right outside the camp. And when kids would come from around Wichita or, or, or up north around Iola, when they would come, they would always ask their, their leader, they'd say, well, when are we getting to the camp? And the leaders would always say, well, when you see that tower, we're close. I think that those people who built that tower tried to make one so tall that they could still go a little bit out and adventure, but they could always look back and see that they were still able to get back. It was a tower that represented security and safety. And for us, this building is not and should not ever be considered more important than the work that it houses. It should not keep us from moving forward. It should not keep us from starting new ministries. It should not keep us from supporting work of missions throughout the whole world. If it does, we need to fix it. Three things. We must behave in a manner fitting as Christians. We must realize a building doesn't fix everything. And we must keep this shoe in perspective. They stood on the wall when it was dangerous. They had enemies around. My wife. It was about... Six years before I met her. She was not really raised in a strong Christian home. She started going to church with a friend. And one night after church, one morning after church, she went home, sat on her bed, and started reading the Bible. I can't remember what book of the Bible it was. But she started reading the book, and she remembered, she realized that Jesus came to the earth to die on the cross for her sins. And she got saved that night on her bed, right there by, by herself. Just her, the Lord, and the Word. And yet all she had ever heard for six weeks at her church was financial stewardship. Her friend was taking her to church, and all the pastor was preaching on was the importance of tithing and giving and financial stewardship. My wife got saved, gloriously saved, during a tithing series. Now, guys, let me tell you something. If, God can, if God's Spirit is still active in the midst of us talking about giving, man, 
I believe that same spirit, maybe for you this morning, those of you that are here, maybe what's on your heart has absolutely nothing to do with the building. Maybe you came in here this morning and you are burdened down. You are weighted down. And maybe it's because of your relationship with God or the lack thereof. Maybe you feel disappointed or ashamed in yourself. Let me tell you something. God is not ashamed of you. God loves you. If you and I could actually understand the depth and the fierceness in which God loves us, man, it would cause us to be joyful. And today... You came in here and you heard about a message, and maybe for you it has nothing to do with that building. Maybe you know right now today this is the day that you need to take that step towards Jesus Christ to receive Him as your Lord and Savior. And I want to ask you a real simple question. Do you know that you are saved? This morning, apart from buildings, apart from the book of Nehemiah, Do you know right now in your heart where you sit that if you were to die at this moment, you would go immediately to be with Jesus Christ?